Welcome to the Principles of Performance podcast, where we discuss how to optimize your health, fitness, and performance. Drawing on decades of experience of working as coaches, consultants, and trainers to top performers, athletes, and teens from professional sports to top universities to the U.S. military, Eric Degatti and Mike Perry discuss topics and strategies of how to perform at your highest level and be your very best. Join us and our friends and colleagues who are leaders in the fitness and performance industry as we investigate and challenge the most popular training, nutrition, lifestyle, and recovery protocols. go here we are principles of performance podcast episode number 38 i am your host eric degatti along with my co-host mike perry mike welcome another great show another great guest yeah we've been lucking out man we've had so many amazing guests and, and uh we get another one today and uh, i'm excited we had a a great conversation before we hit record and uh we we we, we had to stop because you know Joe is getting right into it, man. He was ready to share. So I'm excited, man. I'm like, I'm ready to go. So we're excited to have Joe today. This is going to be a lot of fun. So uh, our guest today is Joe McAuliffe. And he's, uh, uh, let me give you his background. He's he's well-trained in that he has his, his bachelor's in kinesiology from Cal State. He's got his master's in exercise science from Montclair State. He's a CSCS emeritus uh, um, by the NSCA and has been an active member since 1987. Um, but he's also been competing in drug-free powerlifting since 1980. He's won 12 national championships and six world titles, most recently in 2021. Um, he holds the world bench press records in two classes, uh, and he just won the national bench press title, getting best lifter for masters this past January. Um, he's also in the New Jersey strength and power hall of fame and the New Jersey powerlifting hall of fame. Um, in addition to, to what he's done on his own, he's also coached thousands of athletes at many schools. He's down in, uh, South Jersey, uh, and down in the Jer Jersey shore conference. And he has expertise in more than 20 different sports. His client list has NFL clients from, you know, Quentin Nelson with the Colts to NFL, WNBA, MLB Olympians. Um, but he also, he's, he's worked with a lot of adult clients and, and changed a lot of lives over the years. And so we're very excited to have him. Joe, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure, Eric. 100% want to share. Awesome. So uh, the one thing I will say, Kay, uh, I saw, I met Joe because he spoke at the New Jersey High School Strength Coaches Clinics. Um, and you could tell that there's definitely a passion there and there's, there's a deep caring there, um, which, which really kind of connected me to him and when he spoke. And then, you know, I always say I have this, this policy when I work with my high school teams, Joe, is that, you know, one of the rules is is that you're doing one of two things every time you walk in the room. You're either adding energy to the room or you're taking energy away. And if you're taking True. energy away from the room, we're going to take you out of the room. But right. we need guys that add energy. And and you'll find out, if you didn't find out right, Perry, Joe is a guy who adds energy to the room when he walks in. <laughs> Absolutely. So so we're going to obviously talk about some of your, your, your specialties here. And a lot of that comes down to what we call the, the big three, which are uh, the movements of bench, deadlift, and squat. And, and let's talk a little bit about the difference of that as a sport in powerlifting versus right. using them as training modalities for other goals from everything from improving athletic performance to strength for everyday activities to muscle building. Kind of talk about the differentiation of how we're going to leverage these big three depending on what our goal is. 
it goes, I, I, I'll go back to go forward. That for me, squat bench deadlift is a lifestyle that I push and pull and squat as a part of my lifestyle in a weight room. So if I, you know, I just trained a 75 year old grandma who can deadlift almost double body weight. She can do pull-ups. She's in credit. She's the inspiration of the gym. Right. And I've had her on an SBD program for almost 20 years. And when you look at longevity and you look at health, powerlifting is a healthy pursuit, whether you compete or not. And I want to get that message out to as many kids at, you know, we see a lot of kids right now struggling with their weight and I want to put muscle on my kids. So I want to feed them more protein rather than sit there and tell them about their food addictions and you can't eat this and you can't eat that. Powerlifting is so complete. All you got to do is add in some pull-ups to those big three. You know, I'm always going to do a pull-up or a row um, in my complexes, depending on the athlete, depending on the goal. But it's a movement system. Uh, when we come, when it comes down to good old exercise science that we had to do our exercise prescription classes, is that that full body approach rather than the segmented splits that you see a lot of people doing firmly over the years, I know that my health is tremendously benefited because no matter how great I got at bench pressing, <laughs> I always would warm up doing squats. There's a, it's just built into me to squat, bench, deadlift in my sessions. Sometimes with uh, the younger crew, like the, the college football players, the high school kids that want an extra lift, then I go more uh, and recommend to that group the push-pull splits. But the uh, squat, push, pull, do some pull-ups and carry some things. You know, you add, I have to add a little bit of strongman in there. And, you know, uh, maybe a little Arnold Schwarzenegger is always going to be inside me. When, uh, you know, I, mean, I live in Jersey and we're by the shore and we, you know, we got to get pumped. So after all of the uh, squat, push, pull, carry, we're going to, we're going to do a little bodybuilding too for the boys and the girls want to do extra metabolics and cosmetics. Awesome. So the sport itself now, uh, for me, it's been a lifesaver. I have a family history of heart disease and stroke and diabetes, Alzheimer's, you name it. My family has been victimized by uh, bad lifestyle choices, smokers, drinkers, uh, poor, poor nutrition, no exercise. But I was always sensitive to it as a young man. So I'm like the only power lifter in history, I think, that was always doing cardio. I was always walking and working, uh, riding the bike. Uh, since the very first time I heard that my mom had heart disease, I was like, oh boy, because back then, we didn't know that it was a lifestyle disease. I thought just because my name was McCall, if I was getting it. So I'm like, not me. <laughs> I'm going for a walk. I don't care what you say it does to my squat. I still squatted seven times or four times body weight. I got up to 755 at one point while still doing a little bit of cardio. So for me, the powerlifting has been a healthy pursuit. It's always made me on the forefront of getting the most out of my body because I wouldn't do steroids. I didn't want to do what my friends were doing. I got great results. I was always the strongest kid in the room. You know, I, I pissed off a lot of seniors as a freshman. I was, I was outlifting a lot of seniors and I got a lot of crap for that <laughs> early on in my uh, career. But the, the 
the whole powerlifting competitive mindset always put me in my own head about reading about nutrition. What kind of natural supplements can I do? You know, what do the Russians do? Because they're doing this. And then I bought my first Powerlifting USA magazine and saw, I'm not going to say who, but back then the covers of the magazines were always guys who were definitely enhanced, okay? And I didn't know. I didn't know. Just like there's a lot of superstars out there today that are enhanced that tell us they're not. Um, there's a lot of trickery when it comes to magazines. And of course, the guy who sold Powerlifting USA wanted a, uh, his premier best looking guys on the cover. And the numbers they were doing in the 70s was ridiculous. This was long before the days of drug testing, because I was at the forefront of that too, the drug tested powerlifting world that we have today. But in the 70s and early 80s, competitive powerlifting was so hard on me, even though I loved it. You know, for me to get my ass whooped by uh, a guy who's uh, squatting, out squatting me by 200 pounds, now benching me by 100 pounds, and you know, he's barely out of high school and has no body fat on him. I'm sitting in, I don't want to say what federation, but I was out of meat as a teenager. And I remember the guys talking about the stuff and how much this guy's taking, how much that guy, and they're showing each other their bottles and their syringes right in the locker room because there was no testing. So I lost a little bit of my powerlifting love for a little while because I was like, damn, it, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. I, I want to be a father one day <laughs> and I want to keep my health because what we're, we we're hearing back then is that that the, uh, the performance enhancing drugs were hurting people's hearts and me already with the paranoia about my family history. You know what I mean? I was like, no way. Cause they also talked about this thing called Roy rage. And guess what? I'm an Irish Italian teenager muscle head. I had enough Roy rage. <laughs> if you were going to put <laughs> chemicals in me, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be in jail. <laughs> so I stayed away from that world. So I didn't power lift a few years. I didn't get to California. And in my restaurant, I was still bodybuilding, powerlifting, still lifting like an animal with no competitive organization because I knew I was going to go and uh, uh, compete against guys who were uh, chemically enhanced. And that just wasn't me. So for, for you see, 83, for uh, two years, I didn't have a competition under my belt. If you look at my history. And then I discovered the ADFPA. Guy walks into my restaurant. His name is Dr. Alan Kirshner. I'll forever remember him walking in, sitting down. I'm his waiter. And he looks at me and says, boy, you got to be a power lifter. And I said, nah, I, you know, I, I don't want to bodybuild. I'll beat up the referees. If I die for six months and someone tells me I'm not ripped enough, I'm going to beat somebody up. So I'd rather not, I'd rather uh, power lift, but there's, there's no drug free way to do it. And he said, well, there is now. And that was right when the ADFPA started their drug testing, powerlifting events. I joined my first meet. And ever since then in 86, I've been doing drug tested uh, powerlifting uh, venues. So that has been my saving grace. Cause like that, I I've been able to be competitive at the national level from the get go. And when you win nationals, everything is wonderful. And you set world records, it's all wonderful. But I will tell you, men, I have learned more life lessons out of the times I got second and third and fourth and fifth. And when I blew my quad at the Arnold, boy, did I learn. Yeah, I heard Greg Cook in the background talking about functional balancing my stuff out because 
at the time training for that. I didn't have time to do all my single leg work and my functional stuff. I only got two hours in the gym a week. My life was going crazy at that moment in time. That's all I'll say. <laughs> and uh, I did. My quad blew apart at the Arnold. Did I learn an amazing lesson from that? Have I learned amazing lessons from losing my grip, having the national title in my hands in 94 and dropping the weight? And no matter how hard Eddie Cohen, my friend, um, tried to replace my callus with chalk. Yeah, uh, you know how they uh, make diamonds, men, you know, with the pressure over time? If you know yeah. who Ed Cohen is, right, the, the arguably say the greatest powerlifter in history, he's a five foot four man with the hands of a silverback gorilla. You <laughs> shake Ed Cohen's hands, he has fingers the size of sausages and this meat hook. I mean, I'm the same height as him. And you shake his hand, it's like, oh my God. He runs in the back and he grabs ice. He, I, this is a wonderful story. So Eddie, you'll love it because he remembers. He took the ice and he held my hand up. I cut the callus to the bone. You could see the under uh, belly of all of my fleshy tissue. The callus was so badly torn. He holds it up for about a minute. He says, get me a hunk of chalk with the ice. And he's taking his thumb and jamming it in. And he says, don't worry, the pain will go away soon. And yeah, because I couldn't feel my hand. The guy was crushing my hand. Then he takes the chalk. The bleeding stopped. Then he takes the chalk. Boom. And he sticks it in there. And he says, I'm going to hold this up until you go. So I stood there holding hands with Ed Cohen in the back for like 10 minutes. And then <laughs> he goes, look. And it looked like I had a, a chalk callus. And relationships and experiences. I went out. And I missed my third, but that experience permanently bonded me to the greatest power lifter in history. And he wasn't, he was there to help and watch. It shows you what a supportive community of wonderful people powerlifting is. And he saw that he could help me because some dude at the worlds in Finland years ago did the same thing for him. So powerlifting in general is such a, a great supportive community. Cause guess what? You go to a meet, you're a winner. You hit PRs, you're a winner. It doesn't matter where you end up nationally. I just had the, 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 the gifts and the talents and the wherewithal to work myself up. It was world championship or bust for me from the get-go. And from the time I did my first meet in 1980, I didn't win my first official world title until 1995. So when I talk about lessons someday in life and training and being patient and not killing myself six days a week, twice a day, worked for Arnold when he was, you know, it didn't work. I used to kill myself. So I learned a lot of lessons, a lot of groundwork in the raw world. I didn't use the gear for the first 10 years of my life because it wasn't around. So I had a very good foundation. So when the gear came along, I took off like a skyrocket. And for about a decade, I was hard to beat. That's for sure. Does that sound good? I feel like you need like your powerlifting? own. That yeah, I think you need your own talk show, man. This is this is this is where it's at. But um, so look, I've been you've, told you've been that. In, yeah, I, I, I can see that. <laughs> um, so look, you've been in powerlifting for uh, you know a long time, and you've had a ton of success. And I know you've coached a lot of other lifters. Yes. What are the common elements that make a great powerlifter? Well, first of all, it's the guys who come in the gym and say, "End quote." I have some middle school lifters, right? These kids walk in and say, coach, how many sets we get versus how many do I have to do, coach? 
It starts up here. It always starts with attitude first because this sport is so brutal on your self-confidence. It's brutal on your body. It plays mind games with you, especially if you have to cut weight and travel internationally and try to beat the Japanese who are blowing smoke in your face in the warm-up. They smoke and purposely blow it at guys like me because they know I don't smoke. Um, so the mindset is 100% the first thing that you look for not just the body type, it's mindset. So once you have somebody who enjoys hard things, you have to enjoy hard work. And again, I'm talking about some really good power lifters that I have coached for years. You're never going to hear of. They're not going to win big world events, but these are amazing competitors who have, um, you know, gone. I read the uh, comment about how much is enough. But these are people that are, you know, deadlifting, triple body weight, squatting, double body weight, bench pressing, 1.75, countless people that I, I, I can look at in my flock, that when they have attitude, when they have persistence and a good plan, meaning good coaching, unfortunately, there's a lot of templates to buy, but there's not what I would call a lot of great coaches out there to help these people that have the good attitude, that have the work ethic. Maybe they don't have my genetics. When you meet me, Eric could tell you I'm a you know I'm born to bench and squat. I got the little tiny thigh uh, thigh uh, length. My uh, femurs aren't that long. Neither are my humeruses. I have a big barrel chest. I have great muscle insertions and tendons and all that. So genetically, I was ahead of the game. My grandpa was a barbender and a strongman in the freaking circus with their Ringling Brothers, uh, Barnum and Bailey back at the, in the 20s before it became the circus. So I have good genetics. Then I have the good training. So the people who have good genetics and good attitude and that have our discipline, those are the people that end up on the top of the podium. And I pray to the good Lord that my teenage boy who has just been bitten by the bug. I didn't force feed on him, fellas. I held off. I held off. I held off. And now he uh, he tried football. Not his thing. He's big on wrestling and power lifting. We're going to nationals in two weeks, and it's the first time I get to coach. My, my oldest didn't do power lifting. He's a Marine, a special force candidate uh, in the Marines, an ass kicker. He loves to lift, but he's not into the sport. My youngest is in the sport. So I got a freshman in high school who I'm going to watch uh, hopefully for a very long time. He wants to beat my records. So there you go. So we've got attitude. We have dedication. We have good genetics. And then, of course, dietary discipline. Do these people uh, want to go home and get a good night's sleep? Or are they tripping the light fantastic, burning the candle at both ends? You know, a lot of that... Uh, when you're young and full of bravado, <clears throat> like myself, you know, you would go out all night and still hit the gym in the morning and expect to squat 500 pounds for reps. <laughs> um, and that was uh, young arrogance. I, again, I wish I had an old Yoda kind of like me saying, hey, it's okay to party. Just not the night before you do, you know, your, your competitive lifts, bro. <laughs> so those are the key factors. And always, always, I'm going to go back to having a relationship with a coach that you could drive to, even if it's an online situation, a lot of the really good online client uh, coaches still get to see their clients maybe once a week, once a month, or at least a few times a year to shake hands, to feel the juice, 
to understand the human being behind this little beautiful electronic device that we have. And I can already tell both of your passion, intensity, and that you're listening to a guy who's been around the block 45 years in training myself, and then 35 years in coaching that to, it takes more than just one thing to make a great power lifter. And it's a long, slow cook. This is something, you know, my son, Connor, who's just getting into his first nationals has been lifting weights for five years. I started when he was 10. He wanted to wrestle and play football. I said, not my house. You got to lift weights if you want to play those sports because I don't want you getting hurt. So we prepared to play sports <laughs> and thank God, knock wood. He's only been beat up a few times and my boys uh, generally are pretty durable. That is so there you have stuff. that. Great okay. stuff. So let's, let's go talk about some of the technical stuff you kind of alluded okay. to is about, uh, about levers, right? Cause that's right. obviously a huge thing. And, and yes. how much does a person's individual structure from their height to their limb and torso length and impact how they're going to do in certain lifts. Whereas, you know, I I'm built somewhat similar to you with that, you know, barrel chest, short arm, short legs, which is great for squatting and benching, but makes for really difficult deadlifting. Oh, deadlift was my nemesis, bro. So let's oh, talk about all it. my life, hit myself, you know, talk about kicking your own balls. <laughs> like at my lockout all the way up, I'm almost castrating myself. I hope that wasn't the bad language. Okay. Uh, listen, but, I wouldn't worry about that. Good. Good, because really, I'm almost at that point where I'm uh, I'm up to the crotch level when I'm locking out. Um, you know, it makes for a more uh, challenging workout, but when it came to numbers at the meets, it was always my uh, my nemesis. I was never I was ranked seventh one year in the deadlift, but for me to crack the top ten, it wasn't that important because I was always killing the squat and the bench, so my subtotals were always so far ahead. So back to linkage. Now, here's where having the coach who's been around the block, who's an adult, talking to another human. You know, I'm, I'm older than most of my clients. I do have a few masters that I coach that are, you know, like I said, a little bit older than me. But I do have kind of that Yoda air to you got to break it down easy to somebody who's got that long, lanky build and they struggle on the bench. And I don't ever want to say, hey, man, you're cussed to have a crappy bench. I'm going to say that's going to be your huge challenge because there aren't too many humans other than a guy like Ed Cohn who is linkage and limb length perfect for all the lifts. He was perfect for all of them. And there are not many people like that. So, again, usually people will be set up with linkage for two out of the three or just for a huge pull. <laughs> Those guys with the arms down to the kneecaps, they are leverage wise, ready to go full fledged. And there is my son. Go figure. My son is going to be a puller. He's got the big Ed Cohen hands. His fingers are long. He has meat hooks. So he'll never lose. I have little sausages. He has a, look at my hands, how kind of thick they are. And my fingers are really short. You know, you wouldn't want to get punched by me, but I, I would, that would always be my thing. My grip. If you've got somebody with long fingers, long forearm, you've got yourself a hell of a deadlifter right there. If you've got somebody with a short humerus, even if they have a shallow chest cavity, like my son, he is not built barrelly like me, but when you learn how to teach the arch, when you learn how to put leg drive and thoracic mobility, we're always working on our thoracic mobility. 
Then we actually make his chest a little bigger. If you look at a post I made a few days ago of his uh, bench press, he PR'd. Look at the way he does elevate his chest a little bit by sh shooting those blades back and getting that little bit of arch. We're not talking about the, the, you know, the ridiculous arch on some of our women and Japanese lifters. Women tend to have better thoracic mobility than men. That's why they're, they have these unbelievable biomechanical advantages. So if you have good T-spine mobility and want to kind of build in a bigger chest or a shorter bar path, then thoracic mobility and benching on a foam roller, benching on a football, all the things that you can do to get that, make your chest bigger, actually, on the bench with a good arch. That helps. How do you make that squat leverage? How about the person with the long-ass femur, right? The person with that long-ass femur and maybe a longer torso, you got the wider stance, the better. If you look on my YouTube at my 755 squat, my stance was about 10 inches apart. I have a, I had a ridiculously narrow stance because it was comfortable and I got short legs so I could keep torso up. But the kids and adults and people that I know that have the longer femur, man, the wider they go, the better their back feels, the better they can reach depth with width. So again, short femur, staying tight with that stance, longer femur, get out nice and wide. But everybody can be a great power lifter. You don't have, again, you don't have to be Eddie Cohen to have a great experience with this sport because it is, if you schedule a couple meets, just two meets a year, then you have all this prep work, right? Have all these cycles to plan, preparation. We're going to work on an injury, work on this, work on that to make the mechanical advantage because meet day, it doesn't matter about a pump. It doesn't matter how many reps. All that matters are the nine. You got to make nine lifts. And that to me is as a powerlifting coach with my son, it's all about going nine for nine. And then you experience the best of what powerlifting has to give for you. How's that? Good. Love it. I love, I love yeah. the fact that, you know, that we take this stuff into account because it's interesting in the world of powerlifting. A lot of people talk about it, but, and then you look at it in sports performance, they, it doesn't even kept like, it's not even on their radar. And, <laughs> and I think a lot of people need to start looking at how, you know, limb lengths play a huge role in people's performance. Ask Quentin Nelson, ask Quentin Nelson, if you ever get him on the show, ask him about how much we had to work on that squat because of his long ass femur. And that dude legit, you can go on my YouTube again, Quinton Nelson squat. Look, junior year, 500 pounds, almost a powerlifting depth. It can be done. It just takes time and patience. And again, there's the word patience. Some of these people, they want overnight. This is a sport, a life sport to me. And if you're a sport performance coach and you're not preparing your athletes for life after sports, shame on you. Let's get them healthy. Give them good skills so they could squat and deadlift and not kill their backs and not expect to squat what they squatted in college if they're a football lineman who weighed 300 pounds, obese. You know what I mean? Then they got to come down and be lean and fit and healthy, and all of a sudden they're trying to squat 405. I know a guy, that uh, one of my guys who's going to be in the police academy, he lost a bunch of weight and all his lifts went down. And he's like, oh, man. I said, but this is life. You don't got to squat 500 pounds to be a healthy adult. You just got to squat and you got to keep doing it and you got to keep deadlifting and benching and we'll get to the variations for health modalities later. But, um, you know, long-term health for me as the last, especially last decade, because I've had a lot of challenges um, that 
for me, the, the best sport performance model is the long-term athletic development, is for long-term health. When I see videos of my ex-athletes now who are staying in great shape and working out, that to me, then I know that I've even passed a state championship ring and first-round draft picks and all the, the great fame. To me, it is about the masses, and it's a healthy pursuit. Squat, bench, deadlift, pull-up, healthy pursuit. And you can be done quick in and out of the gym. you got a corporate life, whatever. They're, it's very easy to keep your musculature healthy um, with these lifts. And I'm proof, pudding, 58, feeling pretty good. Hey, everybody, a quick break in the action here. Hope you're enjoying the show and we appreciate you listening. We're working hard to bring you the highest quality content and best guests every single week. So if you could do us a big favor and go and like and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you get your podcasts on, it would be greatly appreciated. Be sure to listen at the end of the show also to find out where you can find out more information about our courses, as well as a special discount code for all our listeners. Thanks again, and let's get back to the show. You know, there's so many programs out there, but, you know, some of the more popular programs out, the West Side Method, Wendler's 531, oh. et cetera, they yep. use a lot of things like, uh, you know, bands, chains, a lot of the talk about accommodating resistance. And let me ask you this. At what point do you start to introduce accommodating resistance, um, bands, chains, just different ways of of training those, whether it's the accessory movements or the big movements? Where do you feel is like, do you feel like there's a threshold or a certain Hell point yeah. where you start to use those and can you explain, you know, what Absolute your thought great process question. on? I love this question. So get the word out that the, the kids who are still in that awkward pubescent phase, even if they're strong as you have to take care in looking at the foundation and the accumulation of tonnage, I'm not talking pounds. How many tons has this kid lifted? over the years. So I usually, because high school was always my wheelhouse. Now, believe it or not, I have as many, if not more middle school kids in my program. Um, so I'm developing a new idea. I don't think middle school kids need that. All right. Now high school, usually I kept to the rule of thumb that these kids got to log about 200 sessions with me or roughly two calendar years of going through gradual progressions, healthy max outs, heavy powerlifting meets, whatever you want to uh, say. It's usually in between sophomore and junior year that you see their foundation is built. Then when the muscle is built, when we've got a lot of hypertrophy, then we're looking for that neuromuscular, the chains, the bands, they're neuromuscular components. I read a lot of Louis Simmons. I grew up reading him. Louis and I have had wonderful conversation at 2004 Worlds. After a seminar, we sat down, had a beer, and me and Louis went at it for about three hours. I'm like, Lou, I'm not enhanced. I can't recover like your dudes. I can't do it. But the one thing Louis left me with, and I had been doing bands and chains all the way back. You can look up a man named Dick Hartzell. He was really the founder of the rubber bands. Yeah, the jump chains stretch have been band is Dick Hartzell's original, yes. original thing. Yeah, that's the guy who really got me into bands back in the 90s. And then I threw the chains on top of it. Why? Because of Louie. So I always credit him with him. He was an interesting cat. You know, I'm not a cut of the same mold, but an interesting, smart genius of a guy. And 
I believe that the neuromuscularity, and you got to have what? Not just the muscles, baby. What's happening when those freshmen and sophomores are going through my introductory and then level two programs? Because in high school, I got a frost soft, a JV, and then a varsity routine. Varsity was always when the really strong dudes, especially the linemen type who want to do great things, that's when you start him with the chains. That's why I started Big Q with his chains, usually around junior year. He still uses them today. They save the joints, too, because you're when you're locking out those chains at the top and the bands, my shoulders always loved me because it was only that lockout that was extreme tension. Down on the chest, it's way less. So you also, if you have a beat-up guy, sometimes those are um, more pain-free options. But all I did with... A lot of the West Side stuff for me is I just cut the volume in half. That's what I told Lou. I just cut the volume in half and it worked like a charm for me. So again, we want muscle base, but we also want, does the bone adapt? Does the tendons and ligaments adapt? So are those tendons primed and ready to go to get after your fast switch motor units while you're doing this? Because it's about intent. So if you intend to drive a, a Honda Civic really fast and slam on the gas, it ain't going very fast, is it? Now you have the, put some horsepower in that motor, add some juice to and make it a V8 engine from a V4. Now you put the gas pedal down, boom, and you got juice. No matter how much intent the high school freshman, if he's wobbling all over the place when he's lifting weights, he can't gather the motor recruitment to really benefit from that, I believe. So... For me, it's about getting that the form and the control of weightlifting down. Sometimes it takes kids years to be good at power cleans. <laughs> it really does. You got some freshmen that just still can't get it, no matter what. Olympic caliber coach that I am, it's sometimes very, very challenging. We go through regressions. They go back to high pulls. They go to weight of vertical leaps for a while. Then we try the clean again. Um, so really, I, I always, in my high school, I usually waited about two years. Now, Jen Pops, you get some dude who reads a magazine, hears this podcast. Hey, I've been lifting two years. Make sure the weight on the bar, this is a great tip. Don't ever exceed 70% of your raw max if you want the benefit. A lot of macho meatheads out there putting on Instagram shows with all the big weights and the chains. The chains don't matter. When that force output coming off your chest is so great that it slows you down, we know our, our force and power curves kind of still say the same that's why with power cleans i don't cycle them up to 100 but a couple of times a year we max out most of the time we're developing power we're not building a one rep we're not olympic lifters playing sports we're athletes using olympic lifts to get better that's why the power lifts are so great for developing freak athletes gentlemen i loved hearing that the football teams because i was on the sideline 25 years at rbc and i loved when i heard that the other team didn't do powerless i'm like this is going to be a fun game because we're going to roll these dudes and we would we would push people around and give out concussions versus get them if you know what i mean um so these power <laughs> lifts can't be um deny i don't understand from the performance standpoint but again always preach the health of it so 70% on the bar with bands and chains will always elicit that fast moving off the chest, fast moving out of the hole, fast moving off the floor gives more power development. You're looking for motor recruitment at that moment, right? That's why too, I still don't understand. And again, explain to me if I'm wrong, 
Why are guys out there doing more than say three reps? We want to be glycolytic, ATP, CP oriented. Why get into the lactic acid system when you're really just trying to get the nervous system going? Because acetylcholine hates lactic acid. Did you ever hear it explained that way? No, but it absolutely makes sense. And so Doesn't that was kind sense. of transitioning into, into the conversation of, okay, how do we leverage these best for performance? And right. like one of the things that, that, that I'll talk about when, when a kid comes to me and they have a question about one of the big three is I'll say, okay, well, are you, let's just take the deadlift. You know, I'm going to answer this maybe one of two different ways. And I said, are you deadlifting to get better at the deadlift or are you deadlifting to get better? There's a little right. bit of difference between the two because yeah, if you're looking to do this to be in a show and, and compete at that right. lift, well, that is your sport. Well, yes. here we're just leveraging it for performance to, to, to get you better at hinging your hips and loading and all the things that are going to get you in that athletic stance and so forth. So kind of tell me, I, I love how you talked about the, the, the physiological component of your rep schemes and so forth. Anything else we need to consider how we would teach this maybe differently or you leverage it differently if it's for specifically for a a field or court sport versus right. doing the lifts for the sport of, of the lift themselves. I can go right back to, uh, to football here. Um, the, the reality is, is that it's a power dominated sport. So if you look at their sport, right, if you've got a hockey player versus a football player, we know hockey is more lactic acid driven, right? So a hockey player has got to be much better at the three to five rep zone than the one to three rep zone. However, <laughs> the reality is, is that if you're an athlete using these lifts to get better, then take a little page out of that powerlifting book and do this. Why? Because you have more snap on that slap shot. You have more pop when you're knocking another human being on his ass. And that, the, the whole physical contact part of it, you can always leverage that and language it with the, with the kids that are playing your contact sports. The non-contact sports, you can leverage the whole, the, the buzzword of explosiveness. If you want to become more explosive, this opens our menu up outside Olympic weightlifts and plyometrics and medicine balls. You had the bands and the chains to a good power day. And then look at the menu that you have between plyos, Olympic lifts, bands and chains, right? You can do all of these things, medicine balls, in that very quick, explosive ATP CP system, which will help their whatever it is on this, like with tennis. I, I haven't had too many kids use chains for tennis, but one, and he was the short conference champ. His brother was a football stud and this kid just wanted to hit the ball harder. So we did some cycles of very light bands. That's all we did. And Oh my God, the kids hitting the ball 10 miles an hour faster than he did the year before. She was like, Oh coach, I loved them. So you got to be able to transit and speaking languages. See, I speak, I'm fluent in 20 different languages. I speak football, wrestling, basketball, field hockey, softball, <laughs> tennis, lacrosse, you name it. I speak the language. So as a strength practitioner, as a professional in our realm, the more sport languages we know, the better it is for us in our communication, especially private sector that, you know, these people are coming for a personal, you know, tutoring, personal training from me. So I speak, when you speak their language, baby, that's the way that you connect. And then they buy in. Once they buy in, they're going to love whatever you tell them to do. That's going to help them hit the ball harder. You no. Know? 
Absolutely. No, I mean, you've, you're right. I love, I love the fact because movement's movement, strength is strength. <laughs> and then there's a little bit of specific, there's a little bit of specificity sprinkled on top. And, you yes. know, one of the things that I, I, uh, you know, I love when people are like, you know, listen, like I have a, you know, parents that are like, do you do sports specific training? Like, yeah, of course we do. We do. always we do. tell them that. We, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We do sports specific training for hockey, for lacrosse, for, for baseball, everything. Yeah. Of course we do. What do you yeah. do? Oh, well, it's, it's pretty in depth. It's, it's yeah. the same stuff with a few different exercises. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brother. But you gotta be, and you know, I gotta pay my bills. And fortunately right now I got business coming out of my ears. I'm almost like booked up for the spring. So it, it really is about speed. Oh yeah. Sports. What are you going to do? I, my answer to that question is because I've gotten that question eight times. I just had a pop Warner team come in and sign up with me and I've had the question the same. And I'm like, I'm going to build your son's athleticism. Ooh, that sounds cool. Yeah. Power, agility, strength, yeah. speed, flexibility, all of that stuff. The and then whatever words. sporty plays. Yes. The buzzwords. Yeah, exactly. Know. Yeah, you got and and I used to be like, no, we don't do that. Now I'm like, yeah, we do it all. You you want, yeah, you know, and you 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 give them one med ball throw that looks like a, a slap shot, and they're happy, right? <laughs> and you're and the good news is is that professionals like us who know our stuff can uh, deliver that message without bullshitting people. It's not bullshit. Yes, we're no, going to do yeah, it all. Exactly. Absolutely, it's not. So you know the the educated consumer, the more podcasts like this go out. The more that we get the word out that, you know, hiring a coach, it really is an investment. And now I have more members than kids just coming to buy workouts. I kind of discourage the workouts and more my mentorship, my tech support. All I got to do is text the kid. You drink enough water today because we're got a hard training session tonight. And oh, my God, they're guzzling their gallon jug on the way in. You know, little things like that. Versus just showing up and paying a daily fee and getting a good workout from me. So, you know, we're going to kind of talk a little bit, uh, kind of a different conversation that we hear in the strength and conditioning community. Um, when is an athlete strong enough? And uh, Oh, good. Good question. You know, when, when do we need to emphasize other qualities and, and right. manage sort of other aspects of athleticism? Because there is a, there is a point of diminishing returns, right? But and, and where is that in your opinion? And is there a way that we can uh, modify programming that will continue on that upward trend? Right. Okay. So if you go to the NHSCA uh, website, they have their uh, all American um, standards for some of the lifts, right? To be an all American. Okay. So what I, what I would say, is look at something like that if you're dealing with high school kids. And like, for example, let's go on the deadlift. I think it's 2.5. They consider that an all-American, that 2.5 your body weight, okay? I can tell you that in high school, 2.5 body weight on a deadlift, 1.75 to 2.0 on a, a raw back parallel squat with none of the equipment on, and then a point Five bench would be considered for a high school kid strong enough. Then we look at college kids. Okay. Quentin Nelson hit top end strength. I do believe sophomore year in high in college and his coach, coach Ballas is a genius and knew that, Hey, guess what? Big Q ain't losing in a fight. <laughs> Big Q is strong enough to push around any other human being. And we can strength train 
at a certain percentage, you know, the, the sweet spot is usually about 70 to 80% of these ideas to keep strength without having to push maximal effort cycling in. So um, those lifts now power clean, even to the bench, you should want to, all of your athletes, always my goals, man, we should be able to clean what we bench in high school. And then we have a balanced attack. Once you've established that now, these are kids that are strong enough to play sports safely for me. You know, to me, it's about safety. And the kids who are at All-American status, I'll bet they're less injured. I bet they're kids that bounce back from a bruise this or a strain that. They come back. They're resilient, durable kids with that kind of strength. So the durability fact has to be put in with, you know, we, 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 we love our data, right? We coaches love our data. But what the data has to be combined with the training room data, the emergency room data, MRI data. If you if you see where I'm I'm going here, is that how strong is strong enough to keep you out of the doctor's office and on the field kicking ass? So those are great goals for kids, but they're not necessary for participation. You don't have to be all American strength, but I'll tell you what. In high school, you really ought to, if you're, if you're into deadlifting, you should be able to deadlift double your body weight. Okay. That's a great um, goal for a kid. I always, all the kids in my gym, it's all the same in the beginners. Our goal is to bench press our body weight multiple times, be able to handle it and be able to show perfect technique. We don't miss reps around here. I don't like force reps with the kids. I only certain populations we do force. So everything you got to make sure that you're getting all of your reps clean. So get your body weight going. So that with the power clean and the bench press I usually use. And, you know, squat is like time and a half, body weight and a half is usually the goal, the immediate goal. Now, here's my dilemma. Do you think in my population, men, that I'm dealing with a lot of average kids? <laughs> I'm dealing with the kids that want to be numero uno that want to follow the champ to the top of the mountain. I'm not looking for just good scores, coach. I want to be the strongest kid on the field. So those are the people you have to manage even more from overtraining and injury in the gym. Because the gym should never be a place where we get hurt. It should always be a place where we help ourselves, not hurt ourselves. And tempering the, the kids that uh, come to me see, uh, see me, that's kind of my wheelhouse because, you know, takes one to no one. <laughs> and there are some people that are just lifting for health versus the ones that, you know, that want that division one scholarship, you know, Quinton Nelson was going to go play in the NFL uh, since he was a little kid. That was what he was thinking about the whole damn time while his brothers and sisters were kicking his butt. So I hope that sheds a little light on it, but those numbers are pretty solid if you look at the, the high school guidelines. And I can honestly say that all of my middle school kids, I have, I have seventh graders that are 90 pounds that deadlift double body weight, just like uh, standing out of bed in the morning, that are so strong, but I won't let them go above it. We train at body weight and between body weight and 1.5 most of the time. With the little guys, Again, I'm not sure about the testing. We have enough data now from uh, the high school kids that we can say, look, 2.5 is excellent. But I have countless kids that um, if you look at the NC2A wrestling tournament this weekend, Christopher Cannon, 
from Northwestern's one of my guys. He deadlifts well over triple body weight. And he'll be an All-American this year. So, you know, if you, it, again, it depends on the kid. If I'm looking to get an out-of-shape kid, in shape, this is my specialty, really. You get a kid who's out of shape with a little bit of talent, you get him ready to be a varsity starter and a guy who contributes, that's where the magic here is. You know what I mean? It's taking that that kid who wouldn't otherwise thinking that he's going to be a starter and a contributor on a state championship team. And um, you're not a highly recruited kid. Those are the dudes that it's so gratifying, and, and girls too, especially with the sport of softball, because softball seems like powerlifting and softball kind of they, they mesh together pretty damn good all right so as we're getting up against it with time i want to circle back to something you've hit on a couple times especially in in, in the last couple of minutes is is the impact on health and yes. and kind of shifting gears to the adult population because if you talk to a lot of lifetime lifters they it usually came at a cost and they have their, yeah. their, war, their war wounds that they talk about and right. unfortunately that's going to scare some people away uh, yes. from, from hitting the weights. And so, right. um, talking about, talk a little bit about health and, and how we can still do these lifts in some modified form, whether it's yes. single leg, whether it's kettlebell, whether it's, uh, you know, things of that nature, dumbbells, where we can still keep doing these and actually make you more robust and resilient. In, in, as you said, to, to your point, in, when we started off with is 70 up to up into your seventies and eighties and beyond. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm living proof that, Heel elevated pause goblet squats, one arm dumbbell bench press, and you know one arm uh, landmine row on the floor. Do five rounds of ten and carry uh, a sandbag or carry farmers carries or something. I mix up my powerlifting like I'll only bench press now with that bar. Hmm. Probably three cycles a year. I usually do like six week ramp up, uh, progressions for, uh, for my bench press. So we're talking about a guy who's um, pretty successful, right? On the bench that I'm only bench pressing. If you're talking about, I'm probably bench pressing, not 20 times, 25 a year. And most of the time I spend unpinned with the bench press, the barbell locks your hand and it pins you on a bench. So uh, my, my buddy, Joe DeFranco, really stimulated my uh, creativity a few years back. We were talking about it. And um, I do a lot of pressing, push, without being pinned. So you're still pressing. It's squat, push, pull. And how many ways can we uh, vary our pulling and squatting like that? Pausing, speed squats, heel elevated, barefoot squats, high shoe elevated squats, but they are the hormone producer. I know this, that I felt sluggish, tired, and slow the years that I was in the shirt and I was trying to bench 600. Okay. I was up to 218. Getting to the 600 barrier was all I was about. And I, I was not squatting and deadlifting at that time. And I felt it. And so did my testosterone, even though I was benching more. Because I wasn't squatting and deadlifting, my test went down. And I'm like, what? I'm ready to break the damn world record on the bench press and the doc's telling me I got low T. I'm like, what the? F this is crazy. And it just went back to the basics. I started squatting and deadlifting again. And um, I'm here to say that my, uh, my, my natural free testosterone and my regular testosterone 
is very, very good. And the clients that I train who have been on my system, who are over the age of 50, I don't have any of them that need TRT. So the endocrine response, we have our physiological response, but the endocrine response and building muscle. You want to get your, the kids come in, they want to, they say, coach, I want to build my arms. I say, do squats. My uh, meathead dad comes in. He wants to get my, get his arms back. I say, okay, we're going to squat. They're like, what? So then I explain the endocrine response. You got to keep the hormones healthy and weight lifting, putting weights in your hands helps. Now go figure. What is the one power lift that I do more than any of the other ones is the deadlift. I still love my sumo deadlifts with the barbell. Motion is lotion. I don't even have to go above 315 to get a really good response. And, you know, I'll do reps of that and it's exhausting and it's challenging and it feels phenomenal on my back and my fake hip. Because <laughs> we could have a whole <laughs> podcast about my wear and tear. I've learned my lessons through pain. Sometimes it's the best motivator. Well, this is this has been uh, this has been a sixty minute cup of coffee right here. I would say, Perry, um, with, you know, just as <laughs> yes, just as, as I expected. Um, so uh, please and, come and we, to my gym, fellas. I've been telling you, come down the Jersey Shore in the summer. It's a great time. I'm literally eight minutes from Long Branch, New Jersey. So anytime you uh, want, come for a visit. Always hit me up. Please feel free. My this could be your home on the shore at a gym, and no one knows you, so no one will ask you for anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are gonna. I'm gonna definitely take you up on that because I'm definitely much down. closer than Mike. So uh, before we wrap things up, we're gonna have all you know Joe's contact info and and where you can reach him and find out more about him uh, in the show notes. But Joe, anything you want to let us know that that you have exciting coming up for uh, in the upcoming year or project? Yes, sir. hundred percent. Uh, April thirtieth. We're uh, just getting all the entry forms together right now. We're going to have a scholastic challenge, scholastic states. So I'm going to have the AAU bench press and deadlift states here, April 30th. And uh, in two weeks, my son's competing in the high school nationals. I have four athletes going uh, powerlifting America. Uh, and then next December, I'm going to the senior games. I'm bringing a team. Uh, 50, you have to be 50 years old. And I am so excited to go down to Florida and be around other like-minded seniors. There's pickleball, there's golf, there's softball, there's running, there's swimming, there's powerlifting. They have all kinds of events at the senior games, baby. I'm bringing team New Jersey. Know anybody over 50 that wants to participate and have some fun? I'm coaching team New Jersey and I'm going to try to break the world record just for a little fun. That's spectacular. The guy, you can sign up to Gotti. The Gotti, are you in that age group yet? I am. I, I hit all the marks. Uh, I'm all right. from Jersey and I'm over there 50. You just, you, so here you go. So Eric will Come see on, there. baby. The senior <laughs> games. It's going to be fun. Uh, well, I promise you sounds, that. It sounds spectacular. Joe, this has been a whole lot of fun. I want to thank you for your time and expertise. And we're going to definitely have to circle back because we didn't even scratch a surface Absolutely. on all the stuff I'm sure we could have covered. So um, wanna want to thank you for your time again. And want to thank you all for listening. And this has been the Principles of Performance Podcast. Awesome. Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Principles of Performance podcast. If you've enjoyed our content, please like and share on your social media outlets as well as subscribe and give us a review on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your preferred platform is to listen to. 
For more information on the Principles of Program Design courses and workshops, visit us at www.principlesofprogramdesign.com and follow us on all of the social media channels where we post new content every day. To save 10% on any PPD courses, enter the discount code PRINCIPLESPODCAST10 at checkout. If you have any questions we can answer or suggestions for the show, you can email us at info at principlesofprogramdesign.com or message us on social media. Thank you again for your support.